You're listening to Fizz Free, and this is the perfect episode if you need reminding of the extensive list of harm that alcohol causes. Ruth and Jane peel back the glamorous image and the illusion of what alcohol offers to reveal the ugly truth. We'll also finish on benefits from dropping alcohol out of your lifestyle with an inspirational story that it's never too late to give up a lady in her 90s who's cut alcohol out of her life. Thanks for listening. Let us know your thoughts. This is Shattering the Illusion, episode four on Fizz Free. Hello, and you're with Ruth and Jane today, and we're going to start discussing Shattering the Illusion, which I'm really really passionate about for me being able to give up alcohol was made so much easier by this knowledge and knowing the facts about what alcohol actually does to the body made it just easier to give up and I think Jane you felt a bit like that as well didn't you yeah so by shattering the illusion you mean like the the mindset about what everybody thinks of alcohol and what is normal and the glamorization of it that sort of thing yeah absolutely yeah yeah because I think there is an illusion around alcohol everybody sees alcohol as this tool that people use to relax to unwind to maybe become more fun you know that classic term let you know oh they were really merry and it's always associated with joyful stuff and um, drink this and you'll be loose and free and enjoy yourself but actually let's have a look at what it does to the body we've grown up with this right from as early as year dot we've seen that modeled in front of us by an older generation it's been entirely normal and emphasized that that's just a fact exactly so i think what we're going to go through today is we're going to look at the facts of actually scientifically what does this poison do to your body either physically or mentally because both of them are equally as important and hopefully for our listeners it's just going to get them to start seeing the other side and actually by the end of it you hopefully will realize there are zero positives not even one positive as to why you need alcohol in your life oh that's quite a powerful statement actually when you put it like that that's really powerful not one Nothing. No, there isn't. There, wow. there is not one. And hopefully we'll be able to convince people as to why. So the first thing I think I want to start off with, because it's for me in the media at the minute, there's a lot of focus on mental health. And there's a lot of people who throw, you know, the word anxiety into lots of conversations. But there's a lot of people who genuinely suffer sometimes with quite crippling anxiety and that can bring on not only emotional effects but physical effects as well where they may suffer from palpitations breathlessness and just that feeling of tightness like adrenaline surging through them emotionally it could make them feel really tired really low it can lead to depression and what worries me is that when people go to the doctors with anxiety because i've had quite a few friends very close friends who have suffered with quite crippling anxiety and not once as the medical professional asked them how much alcohol do you drink have yeah. you tried cutting down <laughs> one thing i'd say here ruth is what about if to someone that says well that's nonsense whenever i drink i just feel great are we talking more that this is you know the next day or repeated exposure or just even one session of drinking alcohol can cause these sorts of effects to different degrees in different people the next day for example 
it's all of the above really um it is scientifically proven that alcohol not only causes anxiety if you are at risk or do suffer with it currently it will absolutely make it worse and deepen those feelings even more and it's just that spiral then isn't it because people think well if I drink it I'm going to feel better but it's what you have to realize is it's a short-term fix and once that alcohol starts to wear off what it actually leaves you with are feelings of worsened heightened anxiety yeah do you know I think I've gone many many years thinking I'm fine with a short-term fix a short-term fix is fine I'll worry about long-term stuff later but there's only so long you can run away and hide from long-term stuff catching up with you I think that's a fact as well absolutely and you know I'm totally empathetic and sympathize with people who are reaching for those short-term fixes and I hold my hand up sometimes if I've had a busy day at work and I'm feeling really tired I'll reach for a chocolate bar because I know that's going to give me quite a lot of energy but again it's only a short-term fix so you know we're all sort of guilty of doing that so you know there's absolutely no judgment here we're just trying to sort of pass on our knowledge that actually if you are sat here listening thinking that's me I do suffer with anxiety perhaps just see what what your anxiety is like if you try and cut down or cut out alcohol yeah I think it's a very natural human reaction to find a quick fix isn't it as human beings we want to just fix things and feel better now yeah and sort of in line with that a lot of people it can be related to anxiety but if you haven't got anxiety um, and this will affect you you know stages of sleep a lot of people say oh I didn't sleep well last night and what concerns me is that a lot of people say oh god I, I need a drink to go to bed I wouldn't be able to fall asleep without having a drink it gets me off to sleep really quickly and that's such a worry because it's that association that you need something to get you to sleep and unfortunately with alcohol yes initially it's got a sedative effect really and what it does is it does make you more you know relaxes your muscles it makes you more tired so you may get off to sleep quicker but it is scientifically proven that it actually disrupts your REM sleep which is your rapid eye movement sleep and that's the issue right there because by disrupting that part of your sleep you never get into a really deep sleep and then you wake up usually what three four five in the morning struggle to then get back off to sleep and then eventually if you do get to sleep and wake up again you feel really tired and it's so associated with alcohol if you have got a fitbit or whatever activity and watch you use have a look on your sleep honestly i can guarantee you if you are one of these people who who abstain from alcohol for five six days and then have a drink honestly just please watch your sleep cycles because it's absolutely true and heart rate i think ties in with that as well if you're talking physical uh, stuff alongside sleep Um, ruth i was very much sort of caught in that uh, mindset for many many years i can't go to sleep without a drink if i try i lie there awake and i toss and i turn and i just can't switch off and so then i kind of accepted it and thought well i won't really be able to give up because i clearly need to have drinks to go to sleep and on the nights when i would try without i'd feel so uncomfortable that it would send me back to it and that sort of cycle went on for years because i thought if that's going to be how hard it is to get to sleep every time i try not drinking then I'm not going to be able to live a life like that. I won't be able to go to work. I won't be able to function. And yet, obviously, it's moving through those withdrawal symptoms, which is what that is. 
um, to be able to realise that as human beings we are capable of falling asleep without um, a stimulant there in the way which we think is helping. That took me quite a long time to get my head around. I totally believed I couldn't go to sleep without a few drinks to help knock me out. You're absolutely right. And what I love about this is we've got sort of a matriarch in our family, one of the eldest members of the family. And she always, always, always had um, that traditional old thing, a little bit of brandy and pep before bed, peppermint. It's an alcoholic flavoured peppermint. And when I gave up drinking, lo and behold, it was really strange because if you've listened to other podcasts unintentionally other people around me it's that sober effect people just start giving up my very very dear family member um who always poured herself a little brandy but she always says you know i never finish it but i need that to get me off to sleep and even she's turned around to me i think about two years ago so it's about 10 months after i gave up and um she was like i've stopped having me brandy Ruth, I just, I just don't think I need it. And do you know what? I don't miss it and I can get to sleep absolutely fine. And this is somebody who's had alcohol in their life. Granted, she's, you know, she's never been a big drinker, but she's always had alcohol in her life at, at some level to the point where she was in her 90s and still believing that she needed a little bit of brandy to get her to sleep at night. And now she doesn't. And even at that age... She's made that conscious decision. I don't want this in my life. So the next one I want to talk about, which I think will resonate with a lot of people actually, is your skin. There's a lot of, um, I suppose, pressure on people to look young nowadays. And there's been a rise in use of Botox and fillers, etc. Now, when you look at those people, are they actually thinking about how what they put in their body can affect how they look and alcohol is proven to not only cause wrinkles or make them worse it can make your skin look really dull it can make your skin really dry because you can dehydrate it through the use of alcohol and or it can make you look really bloated and the worst thing which was one of the things that affected me the most was it causes and makes worse rosacea and I was walking around with quite severe red cheeks. Um, they used to flare up quite bad and I had little lumps on them. And that could, I, you know, I could actually feel it going straight to my cheeks. As soon as I tasted a bit of wine, it was like, woof, straight to my cheeks. And I'm like, gosh, you've gone flushed. What was it like, Ruth? Could we hear that again? Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Um... So, yeah, and, you know, people are spending a lot of money on Botox and fillers when actually if you tackled your diet, you could actually save yourself a lot of money. Do you know, I didn't see a massive difference in my skin, it's got to be said, but I have um, a good connection within the sober Instagram community. And from the uh, pages that I follow there, that it's amazing when people do it before and after. And it's not those classic ones where they've got really poor lighting and a grainy camera and it's an unflattering angle. You know, like weight loss pictures, people do it before mm -hmm. and an after. And it's always with better lighting and filters. And it, I'm never very convinced on those ones. But when people do a face-to-face, side-by-side, in the same sort of lighting, the same angle, 
you can't deny the difference for a lot of accounts that post those between the and actually a lot of it's in the eyes the sparkle in the eyes is what is a major difference but again that's smoother cleaner brighter sometimes slimmer um change to the face can be remarkable in some people it really can and i'm really glad that you've brought up about the eyes being sparkly because obviously if you are at this level where you can see that your eyes are going a little bit yellow then that is there is a technical term well scientific term for that and that's jaundice and that's when the liver is quite badly damaged if you are at that point I would absolutely recommend you go and speak to a GP or a medical professional to seek some advice on that so I think that's really important to say but yeah that what comes to mind with this I don't know if anyone's seen the article or I think it may have been on Facebook or Instagram about, was it Michelle? What's her name, Jane? Heaton? Is it Michelle oh, Heaton? Michelle Heaton. I had so much respect for this lady when she posted that picture of her and I think she took it on one of her, was it the two days before she started to go sober? And if you haven't seen it, please Google it because the level of... What's the word I'm looking for? The, the level of courage it took to actually post that to show what her skin was like, what her face was like. And for her, the bloatedness was really obvious. And then it fast forward to how she is now. It was less than a year, it, I think, the comparison that she put, wasn't it? Or, or maybe the one it year. It was, mark. yeah. And it was just incredible. She looked brighter. She looked happier. And you could just... She was oozing. She was blossoming. It was just wonderful to see and I think that's really important for those people you know who want to stay looking a little bit younger give up alcohol because honestly it dehydrates your skin so much she looks amazing as you said I I like that you touched on the fact that it was so bold and so brave of her to show an image of herself at her most vulnerable I don't Mm. know many people many of us that would be comfortable doing that and with the platform that she has and I think her amount of followers has skyrocketed since she shared her sobriety journey because you know a lot of people followed her for you know music news and fashion and celeb stuff and attending awards and blah 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 but I think you'd have to look at the numbers but I think when she shared her sobriety journey her following increased massively and I think um, that that gives a lot of confidence to other people to be able to see someone sharing themselves in a really really unflattering shameful if you want to use that word uh, state when she was in active addiction when she was drinking heavier and it it is very dramatic as you've said that image it's great to have a celebrity somebody in the public eye prepared to show that she by the way as an aside looks incredible now I'm so jealous of how (laughs) toned and lean she is she looks amazing it's a great um you know great inspiration to people to see something like that it is and now you've mentioned sort of healthy appearance and being lean it leads me lovely onto my next point which is the amount of calories that are in alcohol yeah you try to imagine (laughs) that they're not there because it's a liquid there can't be any in there Ruth are you sure (laughs) oh exactly and do you know what how many times have you thought I'm gonna have gin instead of beer or wine because gin's healthier (laughs) tell you how many times Ruth about a decade and a half (laughs) that's how many times (laughs) so If you are drinking a lot, I'm going to put this into perspective here, right? So a bottle of wine has roughly 625 calories. That is the equivalent of around 150 calories per 175 ml of wine. If you have one glass of wine, that's the equivalent of a donut, a glazed donut at that. 
if you are having a bottle of wine, that's the equivalent of two and a half Mars bars. Could you imagine sitting there every single night having maybe two to three donuts or two to three Mars bars? Yeah, when you put it like that as a comparison, because for years I would just think that it's liquid. How can that even count? It cannot be calories in liquid. <laughs> and it's so annoying. And I'll try and ignore that fact to just push it out of my mind. I would hear you, for example, say a number like that as you just have. And I'd be like, nah, can't be right. Can't be real. But yeah. it, it is. And it's a fact. And as we said before, there's only so long you can keep denying facts before um, A, they're very repetitive, and B, they do catch up on you. That is a fact that there is just a huge amount of calories in there. And even if you're a person, maybe you say to yourself, well, I don't count calories. So that doesn't mean much to me. I don't understand it. It, it. Your body will understand it. And when you are consuming, perhaps on a daily basis, a large amount of liquid calories, it, it will show and you'll feel it. You'll carry that heavier with the bloating. And I think the bloating is um, a phenomenal thing on its own. That's even different to the weight gain. But these are the effects that are cumulative from ingesting as you say, this level of um, alcohol. It is, and I'm glad you've mentioned the bloating, Jane, because in our bodies we have a marker which actually shows inflammation in the body, and that's called CRP, which is your C-reactive protein. Now, CRP, when you drink alcohol, it actually it elevates, it causes, alcohol causes bloating in the tummy, and you might find if you've been on a heavy session that your tummy feels a bit bloated and a bit podgy. Coming back to it, so yeah, the CRP can actually be increased quite a lot when, when you're drinking. And just to put, again, that into perspective, when you exercise, so I've just been out for quite a long run. I've just been for a 10K run. I've burned, I think it was 430 calories. So if I'd have drank a bottle of wine, even though I've been out for a run which is 10k, it's taken me nearly an hour, I still haven't burnt that bottle of wine off. Wow. That's how many calories are in it. <laughs> wow. It just brought back a bit of a memory where you'd think, I'm going to maybe diet, eat low calorie all day, I'm going to skip this, I'm going to skip that, I'm going to eat salad, and I'm going to exercise, and therefore then I can earn the alcohol and pile on the calories later because hopefully somehow in the physics of my body it will all work out and I'll be a negative and it'll be fine but it's still a whole host of other chemicals and, and things that are going in alongside calories that are still going to be catching up with you of an evening and then you're not nourished you haven't you haven't eaten the correct calorie balance across the day and the correct nutrients perhaps because you've been what is it drinking your calories I think many people have done that in the past saving up your calories yeah for the liquid in the evening exactly exactly so these are all kind of things i think which are quite they're serious but i'm going to get onto the more serious issues related to alcohol now i think one of the things that a lot of people don't associate with alcohol is cancer it does cause so many different types of cancer. I think when, when I was looking at this online, it can cause, obviously, the obvious ones. You've got your liver, your kidney cancer. But it's also associated with colorectal and head and neck and breast cancer. Yeah, isn't it seven major ones that directly have an impact from, from our goal? Yeah, which, you know, is really sort of scary that it's not really promoted or 
that knowledge isn't shared massively with the public. You know, if you go and buy a packet of cigarettes, it's on there saying you could get lung cancer from these and there's a horrible picture of a deceased person's lungs on there. You don't pick up a bottle of wine and there's no picture on there with, you know, a picture of someone's breast with cancer on there saying if you drink this, you could be at risk of breast cancer. It's like, why, why isn't that happening? Why aren't we being warned about this? Um, you know, to jump in briefly, I used to have to get regular bloods done for a different um, health condition unrelated to alcohol. And um, as part of those results, for a start, on the run-up to the bloods, I would feel a bit stressed because I would have to cut down or try and go a few days without alcohol before the bloods so they don't tell the tales on me to the doctor. And um, so I would just about manage that. But at least one or two occasions, I think I had had alcohol the night before going to get bloods and just thought, well, huh, if they catch me out, if, if, you know, if my bloods show that I've had alcohol, then we have a conversation about it. So be it. I'll deal with it in the doctor's appointment. Now, it won't surprise you to hear that, A, that never really got raised in doctor's appointments. But B, um, ultimately, what I did find is when I carried on going for those bloods after having become sober, I looked back and compared because I've been able to get a printout of them. And one of the liver function test numbers was really quite dramatic. The level of GGT, which is gamma glutamyl transpeptidase, and it's you know part of your liver function, should be the measurement, right, between 7 and 32. One of the highest was 74. It was in bold. Wow. 74. It's in bold. And in fact, all of my results in the liver function test are highlighted because they were outside of the normal range. That didn't get picked up or discussed. I knew it. I saw it. I knew exactly what that was about. Anyway, looking at one of my more recent ones, um, again, to bring that from context, from being up at 74, and it should be between 7 and 32, uh, some my blood tests from earlier this year were down to 20. I got it down to 20. Wow. <laughs> oh, well done. So even That's the, amazing. It's even below the 32 top end range of what is considered to be normal. And that's um, that was, I'd say, about 11 months of having, 10, 11 months of getting sober. So relatively shortish time to undo and reverse uh, some of that. Well, not necessarily, I don't know what level of damage there might have been there, but I do know that liver function test results were waving giant red flags in my blood results um, that weren't really picked up but I saw them and I'm now seeing a reduction in those numbers, which is really satisfying, can give you hope that you, you can reverse some of this damage if you wonder or worry, oh, it's too late for me, what's the point? Mm. I can't believe that that wasn't flagged to you. Um, that's really worrying, especially if you're the type of person, I mean, we've only really recently got these patient online records where we've got access to our blood results in that much detail. But a lot of people are walking around without that information so if you hadn't looked at that and hadn't got that to compare to and didn't monitor it there are people who aren't being advised by medical professionals they're not aware because they're not looking it looking into it themselves and they're just walking around carrying on doing what they're doing when it could be preventable these people could be advised and they could put strategies in place to improve their lifestyle but they haven't got that guidance that they need which is really frustrating and you know, I've had a lot of people, people who have opposed me becoming sober. I've had a lot of people say, oh, well, my liver function test has always been fine. What really concerns me when people say that to me is I've looked into this into quite a lot of detail. So I think never, ever, ever get complacent with it because the doctors do the most basic of tests at the GP, right? But there are 
other liver function tests which aren't done as standard, they're not a regular liver test. And the NHS website actually states on there that if your liver function comes back normal on the standard tests that are advised by GPs to do, you can actually show up that you've got significant liver damage on a second set of tests, but they may not request them. It depends, I suppose, sometimes what the bloods are being requested for. And I think in my case, the bloods were looking for one set of data in one area. So although it does a whole raft of uh, results, when you go to your appointment with a very busy doctor who's already running three or four appointments late, click, 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 here's what we're discussing today for the thing we were looking for. Here's your regular prescription off you trot. And perhaps mm. that's how it can go under the radar a bit. And also, I think we've mentioned this in a couple of hours of the podcast, you've got two different sets of people. So I think you and Claire were both very much, you needed the confirmation bias that you would, your drinking was okay and that your body was coping with it. You wouldn't look for those tests. I was on the flip side of the coin where I was like, I was wanting lots of different tests for somebody medical to say to me, you need to stop drinking. Your body isn't, you know, responding very well to the level of alcohol you're putting in it. And I think if you've got people who are looking for an excuse and looking for acceptance, they're never going to push for more tests because they actually don't want to know what's going on. But that does bring me on to another point is that if you are at the point where you've got scarring in your liver, that's irreversible. You cannot get rid of that. However, please don't think, oh, well, it's pointless. I might as well just carry on because you can cap the scarring where it is and try and make sure the rest of your liver is healthy and will regenerate so your liver function is to fight disease it fights infection it's such an important part of your body it filtrates all the poisons out and all the the negative things you're putting into your body now each time this is from the nhs website again each time the liver filters alcohol some of your liver cells actually die and there's research to suggest that when those die we believe the liver can completely regenerate but sometimes they don't those liver cells die and that they're just gone which you know it's so it's never don't think oh i can put it off till next year because each day counts each day of being sober counts but your liver will benefit from it the other bad things and these are more again serious problems are it definitely causes high blood pressure if you've got high blood pressure that can lead to heart problems if you've got heart problems that can lead to a stroke that can lead to heart disease and heart attack and these are all things again people associate heart problems and high blood pressure just with fatty consumption fatty foods but it's not, it can also have a knock-on effect with alcohol because alcohol actually increases your heart rate, which puts more strain on your heart. You know, with these things that you can't see, I think, and if you are someone that tries to avoid the cold hard facts, this would be where you, you would just try so hard to ignore these things, and yet they would catch up with you at maybe three in the morning where you're lying there thinking, I do not want to be the cause of my children losing me early and I've brought it on myself from having repeatedly consumed something that I do know is incredibly harmful. 
think what I want to add to this as well is that the liver doesn't have any nerve endings. It's not like other organs where it can kind of give you a little bit of a warning signal that something isn't right. Your liver can't. And what it'll do is it'll just swell and get more bloated, which then puts pressure on the organs around it. And that's when you'll start feeling pain. You might get a pain in your side. Um, and by having that, you'll probably go to the doctor and oh god I've got really bad backache and that's when they might do some investigation into why you've got backache you might have a scan and that's when you might find that your liver is so swollen because it's been processing too much alcohol and by that point there's going to be drastic measures that are going to have to be put in place so again what I'm saying is don't get complacent if your body isn't giving you a warning sign that something is wrong because there could be but you're just not aware of it so what else it does is it can actually build up acids in the lining of your stomach and that can lead to things like gastritis. It can lead to stomach ulcers, which are very, very painful. It can lead to diarrhea. You know, a lot of people are walking around with diagnosed irritable bowel that could be directly linked to alcohol. I think all three of us have actually said that bowel movements have improved since we've given up alcohol. Because of the acid, you may suffer with heartburn. So if you're one of these people who suffer with heartburn and are taking Rennie or Gaviscon every day, then again, look at your alcohol intake. Is there anything that you could improve? Because that could be causing your heartburn. And I think what concerns me as I'm going through this list, what we do is, is we look at what's wrong in our body and we try and blame everything but alcohol because it's the thing we don't want to give up. We're like, well, if I've got heart problems, that's something wrong with my veins. I need to look at how much fat I'm intaking. You know, if I'm feeling um, sick and I've got diarrhea, is it because I've eaten something dodgy the night before? And actually, it could all be linked to alcohol. One of the other things that it does is it widens your blood vessels, so it makes your blood flow quicker. And your blood flows quicker to your skin, which can make you feel hotter. And that's why when we're out and we're drinking, we might feel flushed, we might get quite warm. But then what it does, because your blood's flowing quite quickly, you can cool down a lot quicker. So you might find that if you've been to a club or been out to a restaurant, you've drank and you're walking home, you start shivering and start dithering because it leaves the, the heat leaves your body a lot quicker, leaving you colder. One of the other things which I think is really, really important to consider if you are trying to start a family is that it can actually affect fertility. And this is in both male and female. In men, it can lower your testosterone levels and cause impotence, which obviously isn't going to be great when you you're trying for a baby and one of the other things which when I was doing my research because most of this I knew from all the books that I'd read but another thing that I found out it affects is the amount of calcium that's in your body and that can actually lead to lower levels of calcium which causes weak bones which can then lead to osteoporosis which we're all prone to the later we we get on in life it is sort of a something that happens as we get older um, but alcohol can directly affect that that's an interesting one that i wasn't aware of i was reading some mm. stuff about uh, menopause recently and how you know weight bearing exercises are recommended as you reach the age of 40 or over anyway 
And let's just say you're going through some of the symptoms of menopause and perhaps thinking that alcohol is helping you, helping you feel better of an evening. So although you've got natural age-related kicking in, you could actually then be compounding it and making it worse with alcohol on top. Yeah. I think one of the other things that alcohol can do to you is it makes you a little bit more, what's the word, like loose and free and... The danger with that is it stops you having the ability to assess risk when we're on it and we're seeing things clearly and we haven't got alcohol in our system. We're thinking, right, so if I cross this road now, I've got to check for a car. That person looks a little bit dodgy. I'm going to walk the other way. And you constantly assess your situation and your surroundings. When you have had a drink, your reactions are slower. You are more likely to take risks. I've been in a situation where I've nearly got knocked over because I've just stepped into a road because I haven't seen a car, I haven't been aware of the risks around me. So you do make yourself more vulnerable and you might find that people around you who are drinking or yourself become more agitated, more aggressive when you've had a drink and that can lead to you know, uncomfortable situations and possible confrontation. So I'm sure we've all been in a situation where we've been at a party or a wedding and a fight's broke out and it's weird because the reaction is, ah, it always happens when they have a drink. Because coming back to the title of this one, Shattering the Illusion, you know, you say having a drink, ah, help you relax and feel more outgoing and more confident. It's like uh, some of these memes I've seen online. Yes, but. (laughs) Yes, but. So you see one image of, of what should work. Yeah, feeling relaxed and confident but then looking at the cost and the price you pay for that, which as you say is being less aware of your surroundings, hazardous or vulnerable situations. So it's not denying that, yeah, you may in that short term feel relieved by alcohol getting back in your system, but the cost it comes at is, yeah, lowering of your inhibitions and like you said, putting yourself in vulnerable positions that you just don't think would necessarily happen in the light of day when you're not having consumed alcohol. Exactly, and I think if you were completely honest with yourself, and this won't resonate with everybody, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who will resonate with this, is in my personal relationship with my husband, I'm very fortunate, we do get on really well, but the only time we've ever fallen out, weirdly, and I never clicked with this, Jane, which, you know, (laughs) is surprising, the only time we've ever fallen out was because of alcohol, and it would always be him saying, just one more, just one more and I've got two kids who I need to get home and get bathed and get to bed but he wants to stay out for just one more and it's that classic sentence isn't it and those little tricks that they do oh well so and so's just bought me a beer so I can't go now yeah can make you quite selfish selfish yeah and just you know that that whole linear sort of single-minded focus on having just Just one one more. more There's so many times I've had to get a taxi or drive home because I've just thought I don't want to stay out or I've got my children with me and perhaps I wasn't drinking that night because he was and I would have just gone home but then that's the green light for him to sort of stay out longer and drink more and he'd come in stumbling. So that's the only time, you know, we've been together 20 years now and it's the only thing we've ever really massively argued over 
interesting with that as well you might think to yourself yeah well, we don't go out all that much she's just sitting on the sofa how can alcohol come between me and my partner i'm sure it doesn't impact think of the times you might both be sat there on a phone scrolling or perhaps you're commenting you're replying on other people's um stories or you, you've really distracted would you necessarily be if you weren't drinking you know or as you say across an evening just at home alcohol still can make you quite selfish and still be sitting on that sofa with you like a third person at times Absolutely. And I think it makes you loose lipped as well. There's times when, and I will admit this, I've had a drink and say something's been playing on my mind. Instead of being sort of coherent and being able to articulate the conversation and talk about something calmly, I've had a drink and it's just all come out like verbal diarrhea. And I've just thrown something you know, verbally into his face and saying, I'm not happy about this you deal with it and then he's kind of got shirty with me and I've woke up the next day and thought man I handled that totally wrong <laughs> that did not come out how I thought it was going to and it's because the alcohol gives you that confidence to just not care and just say what you think without actually thinking about the person on the receiving end of that and interestingly you're talking about a face-to-face -face situation there Ruth then take it online because I know you're not a mega social media user but you know scrolling just before bed and feeling the need to comment and share your views and your disagreements on other people's posts or to share in far more detail something of your own personal life on your page or to send messages to catch up with people who you know you could probably wait to catch up with them in daylight hours again that next morning to think Oh, why on earth was I online or typing? And oh my God, that message is still there. Like it's still got a digital footprint. So you're talking, you know, face to face and having to have that conversation the next day. But of course, there's the whole online element, which is not sympathetic to anything like alcohol induced decisions and comments. That is so true. I never even thought of that. Cause yeah, like you say, Jane, I'm not a big social media user. So. I'm sure there are people listening who have been in that situation and it's just that gut-wrenching feeling waking up the next day thinking, oh no, what have I done? And it's that embarrassment, isn't it, of having to sort of face it the next day. This is emotional and social dense that it creates that you're then having to patch up, uh, fix, work around that you wouldn't have had to do had it not happened in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So those are the main things for me, trying to shatter that illusion and just prove to you that there are so many negatives related to putting this poison into your body. And actually, please don't be scared or worried about giving it up because you're not, I hate that term actually, giving it up, because <laughs> you're not giving something up, you are choosing not to drink poison. But I'm going to flip this on its head now and I'm going to talk you through the positives. So you have chosen to take poison out of your life. Let's have a look at actually how this is going to positively impact you. You will be cutting the risk of having, well, reducing your risk of possibly causing seven different types of cancers and liver disease. You will definitely start to sleep better. And I don't want to put you into a full sense of illusion here because some people won't experience this on night one or night two. There's a lot of things your brain has to process. You might have been drinking to avoid situations or to cope with some feelings that are, are difficult and uncomfortable. But eventually, your sleep will get better. 
you will be able to deal with stress and anxiety better along the line. Your skin may be boosted in appearance, it may look more hydrated, you, it might look brighter, you'll lower your blood sugar, you may feel like you've got a better wake-up mood in the morning, it might boost your mood, make you feel brighter, you may lose weight, your heart will get healthier, your blood pressure may lower, your relationship may improve, your sex life may improve, you might get rid of headaches, Jane, are there any more? Because I could go on and on and on. I'm not convinced. (laughs) If only there was a way you could persuade me. (laughs) Do you know what? One thing I actually want to jump in and say, though, you know, when you said you you wanted to do this one today about shattering the illusion, I was thinking more about situational stuff, actually, about, well, how will I spend my Friday nights? What will I do on holiday? How can I escape boredom? You know, the go-to... Uh, illusionary excuses if you like of of why people drink and ultimately you know a lot of these come down to self-care you can do loads more self-care activities it's so held in your mind that that must involve reward and and having alcohol when you're able to do other things and then you think but that's going to make me boring I don't want to be boring yeah maybe but boring to who that's the question but whose opinion are we so worried about being boring in front of is your concept of boring the same now as it was 25 years ago possibly not you know can we replace so many of them with with self-care with nourishing ourselves resting ourselves taking up hobbies that we might not have touched for years that we thought we'd outgrown without the alcohol you know that illusion that you can't have fun without it you can challenge that yourself in many different ways what I'd like to add here is that if you feel alcohol gives you more confidence and makes you more fun, you've got to remember that is still you, that is in you. And it's kind of people just use alcohol to gain the confidence to get that out. But honestly, I found perhaps it's taken me a while to sort of build up. But I've been to places where I've had to dance, I've done karaoke. And initially, I remember getting up on the dance floor and thinking, oh, gosh, I feel like everyone's looking at me. I've got that step wrong. Oh, I can't dance. But eventually, you look around and you just think, no one actually gives a damn that I'm on this dance floor. They're just involved in their own little world, doing their own little thing and having a little boogie by themselves and enjoying the atmosphere and, you know, the, the sort of hype of the party. It's actually identifying that that's just your self-conscious thoughts that are there. And eventually we gain momentum and we gain confidence with this. And after that first initial dance on the dance floor, the next time I got up, it was easier. And the next time I got up, it was even easier to the point where I feel really quite confident now just getting up onto the dance floor and having a little dance or getting the karaoke mic and having a go at that. You know, it it does take time. I think you've just got to be patient with yourself and not force yourself into uncomfortable situations because I think as soon as you start to really force yourself into those situations is the point where you may lose your confidence because it may be too difficult. So it's little stepping stones. I don't think I'd realise how much confidence can come into this. I think I've mentioned before, I spent many, many years feeling very low about myself and assuming that I wasn't you know, strong enough to be able to do this. I hope my kids grow up always feeling so confident in their own skin that they don't feel the need to enhance that and get Dutch courage as you call it or you know lose their inhibitions with alcohol it'd be so nice I didn't grow up a particularly confident person but you know 
to be able to feel that comfortable in your own skin where that's not really a go-to option would be amazing and like you I've also felt an increase in confidence I went to the launch party of a really great new club and um, I was on the dance floor I mean a couple of you know, there were a couple of very animated dancers on there <laughs> but I was right in there with them and I, I felt cool about it I, did, I even saw a friend looking at me sort of frowning thinking but she hasn't had a drink <laughs> really quite joyous to rediscover that I don't need the alcohol to be able to stand up and do karaoke yeah you feel nervous and self-conscious but feeling self-conscious versus growing your confidence is a really, really interesting part of, of becoming sober. Do you know what? As I said before, so many people are so focused on what they're doing and how they're coming across that they don't really analyse what you're doing and what you're drinking. And I remember going to Bongo Bingo it's absolutely bingo rave is the only way I can describe it, where you dance on tables Oh, it's just brilliant. And I was dancing on a table and had my glow sticks, <laughs> getting, you know, really going for it. And there was a lady who was with me, but we didn't really know each other that well, but we sort of knew of each other. And um, she could see at the end of the night, I had a bottle of water. And she come over and was like, how are you getting home? I said, oh, I'm driving. And she was like, you haven't had a drink. I was like, no, why? She was like oh my gosh, well, you clearly don't need it. And that for me was just confirmation of how far I'd come on this journey because she genuinely looked at me and thought she must have had a drink to be partying like that. So it, it can be done, it really can. And do you know what's sad on talking about this actually? I remember um, being with one of my friends and her son with, was with us and we were playing cards and it was such a funny night. We were playing a game and I, I laughed that much, I cried. And as a child, he could not believe that I was laughing as much and he didn't realise I wasn't drinking. He was like, why are you being so silly though you, when you haven't had a drink? And he associated someone laughing and being really silly with being drunk. That's quite powerful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it is. It really is. So, yeah, I know this has been what I feel is quite a serious podcast and, you know, some of our podcasts will be more lighthearted and more fun, but I really feel for this one, I just wanted to get the message across quite factually and let you know exactly what it does to your body. You know, I spent a long time avoiding facts and anything written down in black and white, I would gloss over, I would shut down that page on social media, I would change the subject of the conversation but as we've said before the facts are there and I just think we have to bring this back and, and round this one off today Ruth on that really quite startling and uh, really quite assertive point that you made earlier there is not one benefit biologically and physically and socially to be had from alcohol you're saying there just isn't one you think of a benefit and it can be challenged it's yeah. just not there is it there's not one benefit no, zero. And I think when you get your head around that, it really helps you to start your sober journey or strengthen your sober journey. Thanks for listening to Fizz Free from your hosts, Ruth, Claire and Jane. Find us online on Facebook, YouTube, on X and Instagram, as well as most major streaming platforms. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, the email is fizzfreezero, the number zero, at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate us and to give us a like and a share to spread the word. Changing your relationship with alcohol. Less fizz, 
more free.